0: hey ladies welcome to the losing fat on plants podcast so happy to have you join me my name is Jennifer, and i'm a certified fat loss nutrition coach i created this podcast for the menopausal woman who's maintaining a fully or partly plant-based diet but is still struggling like i once did to lose fat because of cycling sugar binges Menopausal weight gain is for real, and it's more than just calories in, calories out. Hormones, stress, and lifestyle are factors that can affect our appetite and complicate how we feel and behave around food, especially during our midlife. Come on, sister, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If your appetite has increased, you're craving foods high in sugar, and you can't stop overeating, then you're in the right place. Lady friend. Don't spend precious time feeling miserable about how you look and your weight. Instead, join me each week as I share evidence-based strategies to help you manage your sweet tooth on a plant-based diet while keeping it real. You don't have to give up your favorite desserts. Let me show you how you can enjoy sweets guilt-free while on your journey towards losing fat on plants. Hope to see you there. Take care. Hi, ladies. Welcome to another episode of Losing Fat on Plants. This is episode 10. Are sugar substitutes unhealthy and do they aid in fat loss? So in the last episode, is having a sweet tooth a bad thing? I mentioned that I would talk about sugar substitutes in another episode. And that episode will be today's episode where I'm going to discuss some of the facts about sugar substitutes that can impact our fat loss and whether or not using sugar substitutes are beneficial for those of us with a sweet tooth who need to control our overall sugar intake. If you remember in the last episode, I mentioned that having a sweet tooth is normal and not necessarily a bad thing if you're responsible with the amount of sugar that you consume and how often you actually consume it. One or two days of the week indulging in dessert is not critical as long as the amount of sugar that you're eating in one sitting does not trigger you into a spiral that knocks you off track. However, a sugar binge cycle is a whole other level and can cause you to stay trapped and hooked on sugar and on processed foods that contain sugar because they're very highly palatable and they can trigger dopamine. But because they are calorie dense, they completely offset our fat loss goals, adding fat that we are working hard to lose or keep off if we're trying to maintain our happy weight. The addictive characteristics of refined sugar that are comparable to drugs, as we discussed in the previous episode, cause your dopamine levels to increase and drive you to seek sugar, keeping you constantly craving it and always thinking about your next hit. It can take weeks if not months, to find your way back to your healthy routines that are conducive to fat loss and free you from sugar and all self-sabotaging behavior. It's not your fault if you eat really tasty sugar-filled food and want to continue eating it. It's a normal physical response for your body to be driven to want that taste, that pleasure that the sugar is giving you. But because sugar has such a strong potential power over you, it's even more important to create a system or plan that safeguards you from getting trapped, which is why limiting your consumption can actually help you because it reduces the amount that your body is exposed to and the chances that the highly palatable taste of sugar will hijack your taste buds and condition your body to be obsessed with it. I know myself that in a binge cycle, the last thing I'm thinking about is having fruit for dessert because it doesn't appeal to me or stimulate my appetite when my body is fiending for ultimate sweetness. The sugar content is not as intense as it is in processed foods, for example. Store-bought cookies, vegan chocolate bars, or vegan ice cream all stimulate those pleasure centers in the brain, and they give me that high that I'm more likely to choose over the less palatable fruit. So meal plans that contain a high balance of vegetables and fruits are the most optimal because they're both low in calories and they're low in sugar. And these types of meals are naturally less palatable, meaning that they're less likely to drive you to overeat. And yet they'll still satisfy your appetite despite their less intense taste compared to processed food. And they balance your blood sugar, so you stay fuller longer. And when you eat these types of meals, often you are able to appreciate the taste of fruits and vegetables because they're not competing with the intense taste of sugar and processed foods. Despite the benefits of a low sugar, high whole fruits and vegetable diet, many menopausal women struggle to make the switch to such a diet because they're used to meals that are high in sugar and in fat and in and salt. And they may recognize, though, that a low sugar diet is more helpful for fat loss, but it's not easy for them to modify their diet by reducing the additives that they're used to or that they're hooked on. That's why many women consider sugar substitutes or artificial sweeteners as an alternative to sugar. So, that they're able to continue to eat the foods that they enjoy without increasing their calorie intake. But the question is whether or not sugar substitutes are really the answer. Is it possible to eat all the sweets you want without increasing your blood sugar or your calorie intake? Also, how much do we really know about artificial sweeteners and the impact that they have on our health? These are the questions. That I want to try to answer to be able to understand more the impact that the sugar substitutes have on our health and our fat loss. And I'd like to do that in this episode. So first, let's look into the various uses that that sugar substitutes actually have. Sugar substitutes were created initially to mock the taste of sugar, but with much less energy. They're usually um, as sweet as 200 to several thousand times sweeter than sugar. And therefore, it much is, is much less is needed to obtain the same level of sweetness that's found in refined sugar. Some substitutes are created from natural ingredients like stevia or monk fruit sweeteners, but others are fully synthetic. And they're, in this case, referred to as artificial sweeteners. They started to come on the market in the late 1970s, once sucralose, which was referred to as sweet and low, was approved for use in the 1970s, so like 1976. And these substitutes started to replace sugar in corn syrup found in a lot of food products as a response to the growing concern about better health, especially with obesity being the primary factor behind type 2 diabetes. These substitutes were so attractive because they provide a similar taste to sugar. It's not exact, but it's pretty similar, and they contain zero calories. So whether it's derived from manufacturing, like plant extracts, or processed by chemical synthesis, they come in various forms, like in the form of a pill, or a liquid, or even a powder. And common substitutes such as aspartame, monk fruit extract, saccharin, sucralose, and stevia, or even cyclamate, which is used outside of the US, they're usually usually made in diet drinks, like Diet Coke or Diet Soda. And sugar alcohols such as erythritol, xylitol, and maltitol are just three of about eight approved sugar substitutes. And they're found mainly in sugar-free foods such as energy bars, ice cream, cookies, for example, or fruit jelly and also gum. I mentioned these three because they're the most widely used and they're the ones that taste the most like sugar. And two of them I actually had tried myself, erythritol and xylitol. You can find these sugar alcohols sold by themselves in a crystal format or in the foods I discussed before, like sugar-free desserts or in sodas. And this, when it's in, in crystal format, makes it much easier to use like sugar, exactly like sugar. So they can be used in baking or in mixed drinks, or you can add it to your muesli or like in different sauces, like salad dressings and things like that. And among the eight different sugar alcohols, they they do differ in taste, but they also differ in calorie content and the way that they're digested into your body. So even though they differ from each other, they all have a relatively low calorie content compared to sugar, and they have a very low GI. So if you remember in the 8th and ninth episodes, I talked about the glycemic index, which rates the foods from 1 to 100 based on the speed in which they're digested in the body through the small intestine. And most sugar alcohols have a very low GI compared to sugar, which means they digest slowly into the body and they therefore have a low impact on your blood sugar and insulin levels. So in addition to having a low impact on blood sugar levels, they also may promote good bacteria in the gut, as well as improve dental health and protect against cavities, which sounds really promising compared to sugar, which has the opposite effect on gut health and teeth, generally increasing the risk of inflammation and cavities. So if they offer such great benefits, what's wrong with sugar substitutes? Why aren't more people using them? You don't really hear people including them in their recipes too much online or on social media. I mean, of course, it's understandable why the whole food 30 camp would not be promoting the benefits of sugar alcohols. But why not the average dieter who desperately wants to shed some pounds? I don't hear so much about them on social media turning to these types of substitutes to support their fat loss journey. Are the the risks that Are associated with them ones that we don't know about? You know, is there anything more to them that, that we're not aware of? Sugar substitutes are required to undergo strict review and approval with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And all approvals should ensure the safety of these additives, since most are based on extensive toxicological and clinical studies. Therefore, if a sugar substitute is approved by the FDA, then it should and can be considered safe for consumption, until, of course, a new study proves otherwise. In an article about sugar substitutes published in the Journal of Pharmacology and Pharmacotherapeutics, a few therapeutic uses were listed for sugar substitutes. So I'm going to just read those. Um, for, for weight loss, for example, um, substitutes, as we know, were created to replace sugar so that the sweet foods could be enjoyed without excessive calorie intake. And as far as dental care... Sugar substitutes are not fermented by the microflora of dental plaque, and therefore they don't encourage tooth decay with the sugar substitutes as they would with sugar, for example. Um, As far as diabetes, if you're diabetic, then sugar substitutes are, of course, helpful for you if you wish to continue eating sweets, but you need to manage your blood sugar because as a type 2 diabetic, your pancreas produces less insulin than required and your body is no longer capable of moving the sugar from your blood into your cells. So to avoid high blood sugar or hyperglycemia, diabetics have to take medication to regulate the blood sugar to avoid any symptoms and sugar substitutes support with regulating the blood sugar. And as far as Um, hypoglycemics, they produce too much insulin. So as opposed to diabetics who produce less insulin. So their blood sugar level goes far below what is necessary for physiological function. And the substituting artificial sweeteners allow them to eat Sweet food that does not spike their blood sugar, which will trigger their pancreas to produce an excessive amount of insulin, so it's clear there are a number of therapeutic uses um, that that sugar substitutes provide but Although they have therapeutic relevance, there's still a controversy about the impact that that they have on our health. on the one hand, some critics believe that sugar substitutes are known to increase your risk of cancer, impact your blood sugar, contrary to the the benefits that I just mentioned, and affect your gut bacteria. But on the other hand, research has proven them to be safe and considered beneficial for for fat loss. So what are we to believe? Let's, um, Let's take a look into the research regarding the safety of sugar substitutes. Based on studies from the past, sugar substitutes sometimes get a really bad rap because they're associated with saccharin, which caused bladder cancer in lab rats in the 1970s. But the food warning label for saccharin was eventually dropped after it was proven that sugar substitutes are generally safe when they're eaten in limited amounts, especially even for, for pregnant women. But although the sugar substitutes may not cause cancer, other studies have shown other effects that they can have on our bodies, which can be just as fatal. They're considered by some to be dangerous for gut health because they have the potential to turn good bacteria into harmful bacteria. For example, the E. coli, which is considered the good bacteria, can turn into E. Fecalis and e-fecalis is a harmful bacteria that can pass through the gut wall and enter into the bloodstream. And this is actually referred to as sepsis, an infection which can lead to tissue damage or organ failure and even death. Previous studies showed that substitute sugars can change the number and type of bacteria in the gut, while other recent studies show that the good bacteria actually become pathogenic. And these pathogenic changes can lead to our own gut cells attacking our stomach wall. And lastly, other studies have shown that when eaten in higher quantities, sugar substitutes can also cause gas um, or, or bloating or even diarrhea. So it's clear that there are concerns about sugar substitutes. But despite the concerns studies continue to prove that they're relatively safe when eaten in moderate to low quantities, and that's key. So in summary, sugar substitutes are not harmful to your overall health when eaten in moderation, and therefore there's no need to avoid eating them based on the risk of disease alone. So what is considered low to moderate quantities. That's the next question. For sugar, we know that an overconsumption leads to inflammation, which results in aches and pains in your joints, irritation and and drying of your skin, bloating, headaches, fatigue, low energy, and ultimately chronic health diseases that have the potential to be fatal. So the World Health Organization set a daily limit on sugar intake to help reduce the impact on our health. And if you remember, that limit is six teaspoons or 25 grams of sugar each day. For sugar substitutes, there is a similar limit that has been set by the regulatory agencies referred to as the acceptable daily intake or the ADI. And it's the total amount of a food additive that can be safely consumed on a daily basis over the course of of a person's lifetime without any adverse effects. The limit and the amount of the sugar substitute recommended is based on your weight and the actual sweetener itself, since each sweetener has its own GI, which can impact our blood sugar levels. For sucralose, for example, it's 5 milligrams per kilogram body weight each day. This would mean for a 132-pound person, about 23 packets of sweetener. For saccharin, for the same um, person with 132 pounds, that's about 45 packets. And for aspartame, it would be about 75 packets. But we know sugar substitutes are really sweet, about 200 to several thousand times sweeter than refined sugar, so only a small percentage is actually needed to, to get the same level of sweetness. And therefore having 25 to 75 packets of sweetener is highly unlikely, but you would you know, need to have at least that amount in order to endanger your health. And that would need to be eaten on a daily basis long-term. So even though you're able to eat a lot of sugar substitutes, um before putting yourself at risk for any any diseases sugar substitutes should not make up the majority of your diet if you're a menopausal woman with a sweet tooth trying to lose fat i've discussed in in previous episodes that the nutrition plan that is the most beneficial for for fat loss especially for a menopausal woman with a sweet tooth is one that consists mainly of whole non-starchy and starchy vegetables with lots of fiber and, you know, all of which is low in, in in calories, but also low in sugar. Sugar has an impact on both the pleasure centers in our brain and, our, and on our blood sugar levels themselves. And this impact ultimately triggers us to overeat, which works against fat loss. Sugar substitutes all the Although they, they don't impact our, our blood sugar levels as sugar does, they do impact the pleasure centers in our brain and can trigger us to overeat. The calorie content of sugar substitutes is much less than sugar. In fact, in most cases, it's, it's even zero. But the quality of the food, which contains sh- sugar substitutes, may not be optimal if it's mostly processed. So, if, for example, you have a donut with refined flour and lots of fat and artificial sweetener, the, the artificial sweetener is not significantly beneficial if you still absorb the calories from the fat and you're triggered to overeat. So you continue to eat, um, you know, more of the donuts, although the the artificial sweetener has very little calories. If you're eating more of the one donut, you're still absorbing a number of calories over and above your body requirements, your your actual calorie requirements for the day. So how can sugar substitutes help menopausal women with a sweet tooth who want to lose fat, but are having difficulty cutting down on sugar? If you are having cravings for sugar and you don't want to add the extra calories, then having diet soda or sugar-free dessert in place of dessert with with sugar is surely helpful. And it can help you to get over the, the hump or take the edge off, but it should not make up the majority of your meal plan. So using it as an aid to reduce the calories while satisfying your sweet tooth is is the, is the key, really, in helping you to avoid overdosing on food with sugar. However, it is important to focus on meals that are the most beneficial for fat loss, which are those that contain the least amount of sugar or sugar substitutes as, as much as possible. Whole vegetables that have low calories and, and stabilize the blood sugar so that they keep you f- um, full longer and are not driving you to overeat are the the most optimal. And And overeating is actually possible with both sugar and with sugar substitutes. So if the sugar substitutes are generally considered safe, is it worth it to include it in your diet if it could help you manage your weight or aid in fat loss, or does it do more damage than good. The answer, it really is, this is a question that only you can answer. If you're able to limit consumption to allow, um, you know, to, to limit the, the amount that, that you take to the ADI that's recommended, then you can ensure to keep any potential risks for any potential diseases to a minimum just as you would with limiting the amount of refined sugar on a daily basis. What is key to losing fat is maintaining low calorie meals that stabilize the blood sugar and do not trigger overeating, as well as staying consistent with routines that support your goals. Healthy meal plans consist mostly of whole fruits and vegetables because they're less palatable as processed foods with high amounts of refined sugar and with with salt and with fat that trigger overeating. Processed foods and foods with refined sugar have mostly high GIs, which dissolve quickly in the blood and they raise the blood sugar and increase insulin. Sugar substitutes should not be considered a magic bullet that will solve fat loss. As long as there are still studies that find correlations between sugar substitutes and pathogenic conditions, one should always be aware of the potential risks and regulate its use carefully. Eating sugar substitutes in place of refined sugar as a way to reduce blood sugar levels is helpful, particularly if you're diabetic. And also if you want to satisfy your sweet tooth without adding the Additional calories that sugar has, but just like sugar, it should be regulated wisely to make sure that you do not trigger overeating, even if the carbohydrate content is less than that of food with sugar. Overeating any food can lead you to gain unnecessary calories um, and and fat, and it conditions unhealthy eating habits. You want to eat mostly when you're hungry by monitoring your hunger cues and stopping when you're full instead of stuffing yourself to satisfy your appetite, not your hunger. So the take-home message is sugar substitutes have beneficial uses, whether it's for those who need to regulate their blood sugar or to reduce any impact on insulin levels or whether it helps dieters who wish to lose fat and reduce the carb content of their meals. As long as it's consumed according to the recommended ADI, the allowed uh, dietary intake, it's not expected to put you at risk for any diseases or pathogenic conditions, but it, it should be used as an aid as I mentioned before, to replace sugar in desserts or even as an additive in certain foods or, or sauces for the sake of reducing calories and not to be fully integrated into your daily meals, if possible. It's not a magic bullet that burns fat. It, if, if eaten carelessly, it can, it can actually trigger you to overeat. And that's going to definitely work against your, your fat loss. Building healthy meals that are the most beneficial for fat loss is the key. And, and those are the meals that I mentioned that consist mainly of non-starchy vegetables that are low in calories and starchy vegetables, as well as fiber, that fill you up and help stabilize the blood sugar and keep you fuller longer. Sugar substitutes can be helpful for you as a menopausal woman with a sweet tooth on your fat loss journey by helping you to reduce your overall calorie intake for the desserts that you plan in your week. Remember, even though they contain practically no calories, they still can trigger you to overeat. So plan the number of days that you wish to indulge based on whatever's right for you. If if you want to eat desserts over the course of 3 or 4 days and you don't end up in a binge cycle, then that is what works for you. For most people, the less sweet treats they indulge in during the week, the better they're they're um the better they're able to manage overeating. So you have to know what's right for you and you have to plan accordingly. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please leave a review to help share it with many more people who can benefit from it. Also, if you want to lose fat and you don't know where to begin, you can head on over to my website and grab my free fat loss course to get you started. And I'll try to leave the, um, the I will, I will leave the description in, in the notes below. So I look forward to sharing with you again next week. And as always, stay healthy, stay blessed. And remember, if you have a sweet tooth and you're trying to lose fat, guilt-free, always tastes and feels better. Take care.